All right, would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, and by raising your hand this morning, how many of you would say, I am a student of history? Would you raise your hand? I am a student of history. Wow, that was about the same amount that said they hate change. (laughs) Okay, so we have very few students of history. I love history. I think it actually stems back to my history teacher in high school. He was awesome. He was passionate about history. He loved history, and that kind of rubbed off on me. Maybe you have heard this quote before, and we're going to show it. Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Have you ever heard that quote? Those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. So everybody who just didn't raise their hand, guess what you're doomed to do? You're doomed to repeat history. The reality is history is an integral part of our lives, and it ought to be. History was written down for our learning. That's why it was given to us. In fact, the Bible tells us that the things written in the Bible that happened thousands and thousands of years ago were written for, guess what, our learning. They were written for our learning. My question to you today is this. Why don't we learn from history? Why don't we learn from history? Well, unfortunately, as you all gave occasion, is because we don't study history. We don't look at history. We don't uh, want to know what history has to do. We just want to know what's going on here and now. Why don't we look at the mistakes and successes of the people who have gone before us. Why don't we learn from them? Why don't we learn what to do and what not to do from history? Why do we continually progress in the same rut over and over and over and over again? There's one place I think we do learn from from history and that we can see in our day and age currently right now is technology. Technology is not the same as it was last year. Not even the same as it was yesterday. I mean, technology changes and changes and changes. So if there's one thing that we've learned from history in, it's technology. We've grown in our uh, ability. I mean, I have a computer. Who remembers their first computer? I remember mine. It was not this. How how many of you remember dial-up internet? Oh, praise God we don't have that anymore. Wow. Dial-up internet. Listen, we've progressed, we've grown, we've learned from history, and we've built upon it. It's wonderful. We've progressed in technology, but if you think about it economically, we've not really learned from history. If you think about it socially, we've not really learned from history. Emotionally, we've not really learned from history. I bet you some of the same emotional problems that you have today, I almost can guarantee you your parents had. Some of the same emotional problems that they had, probably your grandparents had. Why don't we learn from history? How about this one, which is most applicable to today, spiritually. Do we learn spiritually from our spiritual history? Here's the reality. We don't seem to learn from our past, and those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. 
Today I hope to highlight the past mistakes and successes in a story so that we can surely learn from these things today. But before we get to the story, we need to give you some background to the story and what's going on. Jesus, walking on this earth, brings with him 12 people. We call them the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles. These men walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They, Jesus taught them. Jesus spent time with them. He, he uh, did all kinds of things with them. For three and a half years, he walked with these men and, and gave them pretty much everything they needed to know before his death, burial, and what we'll celebrate this weekend, his resurrection. But Peter, James, and John are three men. We would call them the inner circle. You constantly hear them. Anytime Jesus often will go apart, he will take with him Peter, James, and John. Three men, the inner circle. He'll spend his time with them. In this particular passage, what's going on is Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and he goes up into a mountain with them. And the Bible uses the word trans, is transfigured before them. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but very simply, he is changed before them. He gets a glow about him. The Bible says so white that, that the people who make things white can't make it that white because it's God's glory being placed upon him. We hear the voice of God speak to Peter, James, and John, and God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. They're all up on the mountain. Okay, so there's four of them up on the mountain, and there's supposed to be 13 of them, right? Jesus and his 12 disciples. The other nine disciples, guess where they are? They're at the bottom of the mountain. They don't go up into the mountain with Jesus, so there's Peter, James, and John up in the mountain, and the other nine are down off the mountain. They stay down below, and you can just imagine, probably twiddling their thumbs like, I wonder what they're doing up there. So there they are, waiting. I want you to, once, I want you to notice that in Mark chapter 9, verse 14 is where we'll pick up our story. The Bible says in verse 14, and when he came to his disciples, so he's now coming down out of the mount, he saw, watch this, a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. Verse 15, and straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples, that they should not cast him out. That, excuse me, that they should cast him out, and they could not. Now, I like to think in pictures, so I want you to picture this with me, Okay. Picture this scene. Jesus and his three disciples, Peter, James, and John, come down out of the mount. And there's a group of people, the Bible calls it a great multitude. There's a ton of people here, right? And they're all around, and it doesn't look like it's going too well. Have you ever walked up on a scene like this? You're like, whoa, something's not right over there. Somebody's, you can tell when somebody's arguing with somebody, right? Their fingers are going and their fists are going and they're red-faced and they're leaning forward just a little bit and they're 
into it, right? Have you ever seen a couple arguing? You can't hear them, but you can see something's not going well. I kind of laugh at that. I don't know why. Maybe it's a dull sense of humor. Kind of funny to me, right? But you can see from a distance as they're coming down out of the mount, there's a multitude of people, and it doesn't look like it's going well. It doesn't look like the disciples are having too much fun. Again, the main characters in the story in the group are the nine disciples of Jesus. Notice with me in verse 14, when he came to his disciples, he saw the great multitude, and the second group is the scribes. Okay, the scribes are questioning him. The scribes were students and teachers of the law. Students and teachers of the law. And finally, we see that there was a man and his son. So there's three basically groups of characters. The disciples, the scribes, and a man and his son. That's key, important. Okay? I want you to notice once again in verse 18, the end of the verse. Notice what this man asks. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out. Cast this demon out. And look at what the end of the verse says, and they could not. And they could not. The man says, I brought my son to your disciples. I asked them, please cast this demon out. Please help my son. And very, very, almost rudely, he says, they couldn't. They could not cast out the demon. Now, this is an interesting part of the story to me. This is an interesting part of the story because the disciples had cast out demons before. I want to show you Mark chapter 6 and verse 13, just a few chapters before. Look what the Bible says, and they, being the disciples, cast out many devils and an anointed with oil, many, uh, oil, many that were sick and healed them. Notice, just a few chapters before, just a few days, a few weeks before, these same disciples cast out, what? Many devils. They had already done this before. So this is an interesting part of the story, and it begins my, my imagination to ask the question, why? In this particular instance, why? Why could not the disciples cast the demon that, we'll get to that part of the story in just a minute. But I want you to notice they did not cast the demon out. And look what they did as a result. Look what they did as a result. Verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning them. Now I want you to, again, picture this with me. The scribes and the disciples are arguing. They're questioning. They get in what I like to call a ridiculous argument with the scribes. Picture it. There's, there are two, if you will, religious groups arguing, questioning one another. And off to the side, there is a man and his son in desperate need. I want you to think about that. Two religious groups arguing, fighting, with one another, and off to the side, there is a man and his son in desperate need. So Maybe you're here today, and you've been in a situation like this. In a situation where you've been in desperate need. You've been struggling with something maybe spiritually. 
You've been struggling with something maybe physically or emotionally. You've been in desperate need, and you went to someone who was religious. You went to a, a religion or someone that you knew who was religious, and all it left you with was more frustration. I cannot imagine as this man and his son stood by and watched these two religious groups arguing, I cannot imagine the frustration. Man, guys, my son, he's getting worse. He's getting worse. I need help. I need help. I want to give, if you are like that today, I want to give you a solution in just a few minutes. Don't want to leave you there, but here we are again. I want to reiterate this. We're stuck with two religious groups arguing and a man and his son in desperate need. How many of you think this is a good picture? Oh, this is exactly what we need, right? No. It's a terrible picture. But can I be honest with you? This is a picture we often see today in the 21st century. This is a picture we often see today in the 21st century. Listen, this is history repeating itself. We see religious groups in ridiculous arguments. We see religious groups arguing, get, getting upset with people, questioning all of these different things. The question may be, what are the religious groups arguing about? Well, the Bible doesn't really tell us. They just say they're questioning. The scribes are questioning them. Well, this morning I simply just want to offer two suggestions. Two suggestions that they could be arguing about. Number one, they could be arguing about the power of God. They could be arguing about the power of God. There is no question in my mind that the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees did not like Jesus Christ. They hated him. They wanted to push him aside. They wanted to get him out of their coasts. And sure, he did some amazing things, but they denied the power of God in him. They didn't want to believe that whatsoever. In fact, maybe they're asking this question. Who has the power of God? Do the disciples have the power of God? Well, obviously not. You couldn't even cast the demon out. Do the scribes have the power of God? Well, obviously not, because they can't cast the demon out. Who has the power of God? Religious people get hung up on this all the time. Religious people get hung up on this all the time. We toss the power of God around like it's some prize to be won. Like it's some wonderful thing that we can have a monopoly on. Once I have the power of God, I got it. Have you ever seen Lord of the Rings? That's the way we view the power of God. Ah, I got it. And we almost get into this Smeagol-like impression. And we think, oh, it's mine, it's, it's mine, and nobody else can have it, and I hold it. And we hold the power of God like it's something that we can monopolize on. Now, honestly, did the disciples have the power of God? Yes or no? Don't, don't be afraid to answer. Did the disciples of God have the power of God? Yes. Think Mark chapter 6. God gives them the power. They cast out demons. They're healing sick men. They had the power of God. They could have easily alluded to the fact that they had done this before. Hey, we've done this before. Back off, buddy. Step back. Right? Right? I, I, we can handle this. 
The scribes could have easily showed the disciples all the wonderful things that God had done in the past. Hey, God split the Red Sea wide open and God gave water from a rock and they did all that in the law. And if you would just obey the law, if you would just stop eating with unwashing hands, right? You would have the power of God. But if you're in the habit of writing things down, I want you to write this down. And here's the fact. Just because you had the power of God doesn't mean you have the power of God. Let me say that again. Just because you had the power of God doesn't mean you have the power of God. Let me ask you a question. Have Baptists ever experienced the power of God? Absolutely. Let me ask you another question. Be careful what you answer. Have the Methodists ever had the power of God? Hmm. We could could go through over and over and over again. People who've had the power of God. But just because you had the power of God doesn't mean you have the power of God. The fact is, in this particular instance, neither one of these two religious groups have the power of God. Let me say that again. Neither one of these two religious groups in this moment have the power of God on their lives. Neither one of them were allowing God to work through them. So here's the lesson just for this. Don't get so caught up in what you used to have that you forget about what is needed right now. Let me say that one more time. Don't get so caught up in what you used to have that you forget what is needed right now. Again, there's this man and his son over here. Oh, what are we going to do? We need help. We've come to the disciples, these scribes, and they're just arguing and they're just getting upset about what they used to have. But don't have Right now, they could have been arguing about the power of God. Number two, they could have been arguing about the method of ministry. The method of ministry. I hope you know this, but scribes, the scribes and the disciples, they did things differently. They did. And no doubt, when the disciples could not cast out this demon, the scribes capitalized on the moment, right? You did it wrong. You did it wrong. You should have done it this way. Man, if you would have been doing things right, then you would have the power of God. Listen, religions are famous for doing the same things over and over and over and over again. Right? Remember the power of God, hold that whole thing? Well, we had it before, and so if we just do that same thing again, then we'll have the power of God still. We'll just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Then we will have the power of God. If we will say the same things over and over and over and over again, then we will have the power of God. In fact, Jesus warned us against this. He said, when you pray, use not what? Vain repetition as the heathen do. I've come to realize in my life anyway that God rarely does the same thing the same way twice. Rarely does the same thing the same way 
place, I want to give you just an instance. Did God split water twice? Okay? The Jordan River and the Red Sea. Did he do it the same way? No. One, Moses stood out on a rock, put his staff out, and the water split. The next one, they had to actually put their feet in the water. Listen, God doesn't do the same way, the same thing the same way twice. He often does things differently. Don't use vain repetition as a heathen do. And so we see the difference in our method of ministry. The scribes ministered to people with a certain idea, we're going to keep you in check. Right? You're doing the wrong thing. You're going against the law. We're going to keep you in check and we're going to scold you and get after you when you don't do it right. The disciples ministered like Jesus did. The disciples were there just to help people. They went to them. They spent time with them. They walked with them. And they went to where they were. Obviously, a difference in ministry style, right? The scribes wanted to make sure everyone obeyed the law. The disciples were there to help people. Now let me ask you, which one was right? Quite frankly, I'm just going to be honest with you, it doesn't matter. Neither one of them had the power of God. The point of this is it doesn't matter how you do it, what you do. At this point, neither one of them had the power of God. It wasn't the method of ministry that mattered at this point. And sometimes we think that the method in which we do things is what is going to bring the power of God. Not in this case. So once again, I want you to see this. We have two religious groups squabbling. Love that word. We do. We see this in churches today. We see churches so concerned with what other churches are doing. We see Christians angry with other Christians. Listen, I'm not trying to say you have to agree with them in everything. But we can so often spend all of our time in religious squabbles that we forget about the need that's there today. Let me ask this question. Why do we get into religious squabbles? Why? This is where I'm going to get in trouble. Why do we get into religious squabbles? You're in the habit of writing things down, just write this down. I don't think this is on your screen. But because of our failure. Why do we get into religious squabbles? Because of our failure. Let me explain. The disciples in this case had failed to cast out this demon out of this child. And when we fail, guess what happens? We try to justify ourselves to cover up the reason why we failed. We try to justify ourselves to cover up the reason why we failed. Every one of us knows the reason why the disciples failed. They didn't have the power of God. And so in order to cover that up, what do they try to do? They try to justify themselves. The scribes are questioning them. The disciples are trying to give the best answer they could they're just trying to justify themselves. Let's compare this to when Jesus actually healed somebody. 
Was there ever argument when Jesus healed somebody? Oh, yeah. Guess who was there? The religious, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. But guess what Jesus didn't do? Jesus often would give, you know, Jesus was a king of one-liners, right? Jesus was a king of making a point and mic dropping and walking away. Jesus didn't engage in arguments. Jesus would engage in thoughtful, provoking discussion. And I'm telling you, Jesus would often just say, this is what you guys need to think about. And most of the time, guess what? They answered not a word. They couldn't. So listen, when Jesus healed somebody, there was nothing that they could say. The only ones who were upset were the ones who were wrong. Jesus didn't have to argue. He just pointed them to the truth. When we fail spiritually, we will often try to prop ourselves up with our good works and justify ourselves to everyone else with our good works. Hopefully, uh, maybe I'm not being specific enough. Here's what we as Baptists do. Well, we had this big day, and we passed out this many flyers, and we did all of these things, and we spent time with this person, we did this, and we did that, and we spent all this time and money and effort. Let me ask you, is that a good thing? Yes, it is, 100%. And what, what we focus on is all of our good works. And we try to justify ourselves with our good works. What does the Bible say about our good works? Our good works are to be seen to glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Let your light so shine. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Most of the time when we tell everybody about our good works, guess what we're trying to do? Glorify ourselves. Look what I tried to do. This is what I did. This is what I did. And we're going to try to justify our failure. Let me ask you an important question this morning. Have you been so busy with religious squabbles that you've forgotten the spiritual battle? Have you been so busy with religious squabbles that you've forgotten about the spiritual battle? It's no wonder why Jesus says what he says in verse 19. Look with me, please. After this father comes to him, Jesus answereth him. He answereth him and saith, O faithless generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. I can just feel the anxiety in his voice. I can just feel the, maybe, I don't know if Jesus got frustrated or not, but I can almost feel the frustration in his voice. How long? How long am I going to suffer you? How long am I going to continue to try to show you this? Oh, faithless generation listen to me i'm not trying to be a downer this morning i'm trying to learn from history and i want to show you that no matter what you think about yourself we don't learn from history we're doomed to repeat it and we here at bible baptist church have in so many ways failed 
Oh, man, we want to see God work. Oh, we want to see demons cast out. We want to see people get saved. We want to do all of these wonderful things. Listen, I'm the same way. I want the same thing for Bible Baptist Church. I want the same thing for your family. I want God to work in your family. I want God to use your family in this community. I want Bible Baptist Church to be the light of the world here in St. Thomas. Oh, we want to see that. And I can tell you all of the things that we're doing to try to make that a reality. But when it comes right down to it, let's be honest, we're a faithless generation. We're a faithless generation. I want to progress this story, if you'll allow me. Verse 20. The Bible says this. And they brought him, the child, unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. Can you imagine the scene? And Jesus, and he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? He said of a child. He's had it of a child. And oft times, watch this, it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. No doubt a little bit frustrated, Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Interestingly enough, he says, help thou mine unbelief. And When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried, oh, I can just imagine, and rent him sore and came out of him. And he, the child, was as one dead. Insomuch that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. Listen, what a powerful, wonderful story. What a great story. There's so much here. But to those of you who sit here today, that you are still in desperate need. That you've come to religion. You've come to somebody who's known religion and they've tried to help you, but they could not. Can I encourage you today? When man has failed you, God will never fail you. Let me say that again. When man has failed you, God will never fail you. Listen, the only way that any of us, don't miss this, the only way that any of us can truly be helped is through the power of Jesus Christ. It's the only way. No man can do that. Understand this. No religion can do that. Only Jesus Christ can do it. This father ran to Jesus. He believed, he needed to believe that Jesus could do it. In fact, he even said, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I've got enough belief, but man, there's still so much that I don't understand. There's still so much doubt. Help me to believe. So you might be here this morning, and you may still have a lot of questions. And I don't know how God's going to do this. I don't know how he's going to fill in their gap. I don't know how he's going to do this. Listen, you may not have all the answers. 
But if you're in desperate need today, you have a sin need, you need to come to Jesus and ask him, just say, help mine unbelief. Would you ask him to help your unbelief today? Would you ask him to show himself to you? The Bible says that they that seek him shall find him. Would you just ask him today? To keep with our theme, would you just reach out to him today? Listen, this man had tried to reach out to disciples, had tried to reach out to everybody, but it wasn't until he reached out to Jesus and believed in him that his son was saved. Jesus is the only one who can save you. I want you to know that. If you don't know that here today, I challenge you. Know that. And by the way, you may already know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior from your sin, but you still might be struggling with something. Jesus is the only one who can save you. No religion is going to help you. No religious methodology is going to help you. Only Jesus is going to help you. Continue. Look with me in verse 28. The Bible says this. When he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately a very good question. Why could not we cast him out? Why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we do it? We've done it before. Why couldn't we do it? In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus begins this answer with, because of your unbelief. Oh, faithless generation. They don't believe. I want you to notice what he says here in verse 28, or excuse me, verse 29. His answer is, and he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing, but by prayer and fasting. Our theme this year is reach out. We've, if you haven't gotten that yet, you should know that, and I'm going to keep talking about it. Reaching out. Let me ask you this question. How are we going to reach out to the people around us if we don't have the power of God? Did you get that? How are we going to reach out to the people around us if we don't have the power of God? How are we going to reach out to St. Thomas if we don't have the power of God? How are we going to go to work tomorrow and be a light in a dark place without the strength of Jesus Christ? How are we going to raise our children in this world without the power of Jesus Christ? How are we going to face, literally face, the forces of Satan without the power of Jesus Christ? Oswald Chambers said this, and I love this. We slander God by our very eagerness to work for him without knowing him. Listen, I have no doubt after weeks of preaching, reach out, that some of us are beginning to be stirred in our spirit to say, hey, I want to start reaching out to some people. I want to start reaching out to the people around me. I want to start reaching out to my coworkers. I want to start reaching out to my neighbors. I want to start reaching out to my family. I want to spend some time with them, help them to know who Jesus Christ is. And we're beginning to be stirred, but we try and it falls flat. We try and we fail. 
The question I have for you today is, how are we going to reach out unless we have the power of Jesus Christ? You can say, hey, I come to church every week. That's great. I'm so happy for that. You can say, man, I I put some money in the offering box. Hey, that's great. I'm thankful for that. You can say, hey, I spend time in the Word of God. That's great. I'm thankful for that. Let me ask you, do you have the power of Jesus Christ today? Today. And just because you have it today doesn't mean you're going to have it tomorrow. This kind came come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Here's the reality. Most of us live defeated lives. Most of us live defeated lives. Most of us can't even help ourselves, let alone help someone else. Can I encourage you this morning? There's nothing, nothing more that we need than Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. There's nothing more that we need other than Jesus Christ. And guess what it's going to take? It's going to take some real prayer fasting some real prayer and fasting you realize that satan is a real foe he's a real foe the only way that he is going to be defeated is guess what by the power of jesus christ so we need to be spending time with jesus we need to pray Listen, I could spend a whole lot of time as to what fasting does. It shows us the end of ourselves and calls upon us to, have, to start trusting in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The only way that we're more than a conqueror is through Jesus Christ. So we need to be reaching out. But we need to be doing it in the strength of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that only comes by prayer and fasting. To finish this morning, let me ask you, will you allow history to continue to repeat itself? Will we be like these nine disciples in this particular story? Will we be like generations upon generations upon generations before us that have access to the power of God, that have access to to living our lives the way that God wants us to live them, to reach out the way that God has called us to reach out. We have access to it, but we don't take advantage of it. Are we going to continue to be like that? Or are we going to make a change? Are we going to change the course of history? By the way, I love this. The disciples finally got the lesson. There's a moment in which they are by themselves in an upper room, and guess what they're doing? They're praying. And guess what happens? The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes down upon them. And guess what happens? By those 12 men, the world was turned upside down. The question I have for you today is are we going to allow history to repeat itself? We're going to try all kinds of things. We're going to spend all kinds of time. But are we going to Spend time in prayer to the holy God and fasting, saying, I can't, but you can. Let's not let history repeat itself again. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you've done for us.
Father, I hope that our lives will be different today because of your word and what they were yesterday. Pray that your spirit would work today. Father, that we would no longer repeat history over and over and over and over again. Father, we'd start doing something different. It's going to take sacrifice. Anything good that has come out of man has come from sacrifice. So would we sacrifice our time in prayer? Would we sacrifice our flesh in fasting? Father, I pray that we would see you work through us. And Father, we would no longer be a faithless generation. Father, if there's one here or one listening that does not know you as personal Savior today, I pray that today would be that day they trust you today. There's one that's in desperate need, Father, that has been uh, denied by religion before. I pray that today they would come to you. Father, we want our church to be a place where people can find you, not a place where people find religion. We want them to find a relationship with you. So I pray that they would have that today. Father, I just pray that your will would be accomplished here today, and we pray all these things in your name. I'm going to ask you to just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a few more minutes. This is our time where we need to make a decision. Maybe you need to make a decision to come to Christ today. Maybe you need to reach out to him. Maybe you've tried everything else, but maybe you would say it's time that I came to him. I, I would hope and pray that you would do that today. You could see myself, you can see Pastor Holland or even Pastor Levi or someone else maybe sitting next to you. We'd love to show you Jesus Christ. But maybe today you've been saved, you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, and you might say, I'm sick of living without God's help. I'm sick of repeating history. Maybe today you can just say, I'm going to start praying and fasting so that I can effectively reach out to my neighbors, to my community, to my family, to my friends, to my coworkers, so on and so forth. Whatever your decision is today, we want to give you some time to make that. And I always challenge you to write it down. But let's give you that time right now.